Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the 10th week of the spring 2017 anime season. I am your host, I am your host Dustin, and with me today is Aaron. Architecture. <laughs> Larry. Quack, quack. And Ben. Yo. Uh, as always, you can find show notes for this episode at uh, www.audioentropy.com or at www.projectharhi.net. And uh, let's start off with Seikai Suru Kado, episode 8. Uh, it is. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess something happened. So, yeah, um, they, I guess they decided it would be a great idea to put the brain that gives everyone, like, uh, super no sleep powers on television. Yeah. With like a after only testing second, it on, on 40 people or four people with like a with like a 30 second warning um and again nothing ever really seems to come of it yeah the, like they show people like clutching their heads and like oh my god and then that's it that's as much yeah. a, as we get yeah they don't really seem to put again like it's 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 just yet another thing in this show where it's like something pretty like serious happens and it's just kind of like they they kind of like briefly touch on the ways that this could be that this could go bad but then like don't bother kind of like actually investigating that angle um, and instead decide to spend some time with Shindo going on a date with the uh, very with the very serious businesswoman um, who dresses in a shirt that says chestnut on it and <laughs> I, also her parents think that they're dating I and did she love gets that. very embarrassed yeah that bit was funny and <laughs> Shindo's just like what the hell Like, are are you seriously wearing a shirt that just says chestnut on it? I'm I'm struggling to decide how I feel about it because on the one hand, it's a funny scene, but on the other hand, like there isn't really a female character in this show that the show takes seriously. I don't think that's true. They, there's that other chick. Uh, uh, Natsuo? Natsume. Yeah, Natsume. She's always portrayed as serious. Yeah, and in fact, uh, yeah, there was that bit where uh, Hanamori, when he, like, when he finds out that you know, Natsume's taken off, he's like, no, I can't do this job without you. Uh, I guess I forget about her because she like, both she and Hanamori, Hanamori are basically like almost never shown. Like they're, they're kind of just like in the background, um, but yeah, it's I have conflicting feelings about that scene. Uh, like the the whole because, date thing was just kind of weird and really had no place in it. Yeah, because like on the one hand, like yeah, there are certainly some good jokes and like 
I feel like I I feel like the best jokes are in Sh- are are with Shindo kind of being like put off his guard because usually he's prepared for everything and this time he's just like I don't I don't understand what is happening or what to do in this situation, um, which I I don't think they had to do that. Uh, I don't think they had to sort of like almost I won't say infantilize but they definitely make her seem kind of make her seem pretty ditzy and like not particularly adult in this scene it it kind of undermines it it almost undermines her as like a character well um, in my opinion I think there was a purpose to this uh Although, uh, which is, I think, her fear is that Shindo seems to be identifying more with, uh, with Zashunina, the alien, rather than with humanity. And so, she was sort of trying to pull him back, and sort of trying to get him to see, you know, what humanity might lose if it gets transformed by contact with this uh with the uh anisotropic um yeah i i don't think i i don't think i don't think her beliefs are correct but they you know but they are honest beliefs I mean, yeah, my issue my issue with that is that we've never, like, the show has never bothered to expand on what the consequences are. In fact, it almost seems allergic to exploring the consequences of humanity being enlightened by the anastropic. Yeah, anytime it comes up, they touch on it and then sweep it under the rug and move on to the next thing. Uh also, I don't yeah. understand, like, when uh, when not Google is moving in their stuff, the army's like, well, no, we can't do anything because the alien thing wants it. It's like, no, you just said the last episode that that only applies to the cube. Yeah, all, yeah, we're, like, the military was going, was going like, hey, Chopper, get down from there. But now it's like, oh, we can't stop this van. <laughs> well... It's not. It's, I, I don't think. It's, I don't think it's a matter of cannot stop them. It's that actually doing what it took. What doing what it takes to stop them would be incredibly costly. And you mean walking I mean that, off the road? Eh. <laughs> There's like literally but, one road. They're in there. No, but no. I mean, getting, so that's get, getting into a standoff with this guy would be. Co- that would make them. That would make that would make them look really bad. So that's kind of also another issue in that, like, uh, an issue that I don't again that I don't feel is explored very well in that kind of these really far-reaching decisions for humanity are being made by like a single person, that being Shindo, <laughs> because Zashinina very much defers to Shindo in the case of humanity. Uh, and Shindo is kind of the one making decisions of like, oh yeah, this is okay, yeah, let them through, or yeah, go ahead and show that brain on television. Um, 
and Shindo is holding incredible power for a single person and is himself drastically affecting humanity's future but no one ever seems to comment on the fact that they gave one person all this power which and is are kind of just trusting that he has their best interests at heart or and is actually thinking through the consequences but at no point have we been shown that he is really thinking a whole lot about the consequences and weighing them in his mind in fact during the previous episode i remember him like very briefly saying hmm but is showing the brain the right choice and then one of the one of the characters is like oh well what do you mean he's like oh never mind and then they never bring it up in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really weird because, like, the in episode two and three, when they sit down and she's introduced as the negotiator, it felt like they were going for, like, him being the negotiator for the alien, her being the negotiation for humanity, and everything going through her, and then down to the actual government. Now yeah, it's just but... whatever Shindo wants. Like, yeah. there, there's no response from the government. Uh, well, I guess the Prime Minister trusts him an awful lot. Like, and again, it's not a matter <laughs> yeah. of it just being Japan. The entire world would step in immediately. Like, yeah, why even have, like, why even have a parliament if, like... <laughs> it It just seems like there's so many things that would happen in a in a realistic scenario that are being completely glossed over for the sake of oh isn't isn't alien advancement amazing <laughs> um and like i want to believe i like at this point the show has just been so incredibly naive that i kind of want to believe that what this episode ended on was Zashunina kind of like like smiling mischievously at Shindo was like we're gonna have a face turn yeah yeah uh, then it's just gonna uh, sorry I mean gonna, heel turn something's gonna happen yeah and I really but... hope it does because otherwise that would just be really dumb yeah it would be kind of disappointing if, if this show's through line was like, an alien comes to Earth, and Earth just lets the alien do whatever the hell he feels like, and it turns out okay for everybody involved. Yeah. Like, that would everybody be such a wins. disappointing... It'd be such a disappointing, like, way for the show to go, I think. Like, you gotta give me some depth here, Ricardo. Like, any at all. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm still on board. Yeah, I mean, I still like it. It's just, it's racking up more and more points against it. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the things I was willing to sort of give it, like, give it a break on, that I figured, like, oh, they can address those later. Like, I'm, I'm sure they're just doing that now, and then they'll get into it. Like, I'm, where I'm to the point where I'm, I'm giving them less and less... Uh, like, leeway. Well, yeah, they've they've got what four more episodes. Yeah, it's twelve episodes. Yeah, I I agree that. Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see some follow through. 
Yeah, so I'm going to give this episode... Uh, I'm trying to decide between a two and a three. Mm. I guess... Hmm, man. I'm gonna I was pretty... It, I'm going to give it a three. I think I'm going to give it a two. Yeah, same here. They're just because it's it, it's really sloppy at this point. Yeah, and there wasn't really much going. Like the entire date sequence could have really been shortened to, well, not exist. But I mean, again, like I, I think I'm fine with the concept of the date sequence even running as long as it did. I just I don't know. I I just feel like my main issue with that was how it kind of undermined her authority. And the show has kind of consistently been doing that with her character. Um, like, even from the very first moment where Shindo's like, I saw you giggle during the first uh, negotiation. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like, oh, she's a professional, but she's still a girl. <laughs> it's like, thanks, show. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That's just my personal pet peeve. <laughs> Also, I think it would have been uh, hilarious had they uh, had they done the TV show and shown the thingamajig, and it just not work because you have to see it. Well, you have to like see it in person. like in person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's Nothing just like, happens. uh, didn't do anything. <laughs> so like, this is supposed to be cool. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's that's it for Kato, I guess. Uh, and I guess Aaron's leaving us now because he didn't even watch Alice. Nope. Everything else is dropped. Uh, wow. Man. I've got this tongues being, to grind. This being, this being autonomously independent, I don't know about this. All right. Let's talk about... Uh, so, see, this is why I don't let Aaron choose shows. Yes. Because if he did, he wouldn't even bother watching it. He'd just been like, oh, yeah, I dropped that thing. <laughs> that is not true. Uh, the only, you know the only show, the only show I know that he actually stood behind for the longest time was Ice. Yeah. <laughs> did you, you actually? Would... Did you actually watch Gate all the way through? Yeah. Yeah, and actually, Gate got licensed and is getting a dub. <laughs> yeah, I did see that on ANN. Um, no, 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 it, Dustin. If you let me pick a show and you guys have to watch it with me, I will totally watch it. It knows the words have to. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh dear. <laughs> Don't worry, there's only like one Queen Queensblade esque show a uh, season. Yeah. No. Yeah, this season it's Seven Mortal Sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's night, see. Nighty, nighty night, uh, Aaron. <laughs> Alright, I guess I'll go. Oh, you can stick around if you want. Gotta go get more tomes. <laughs> yes, that's right. I see, you did. You I get see your tomes. I see where we rate. Uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and talk about Alice Tozoroku, episode nine. Let's yep. see. I thought I thought the first half of this episode could have been tightened up. Oh gosh, the first half was rough. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, because it was just because it was just like Alice and her friends just having fun and yeah, doing nothing, it was... doing nothing much of or not. I mean, Sana, not Alice. She, her name is yeah, Sana. Sana and her friends doing. I'm glad I'm not much. the only one who does that. Yeah, I'm uh, okay. Yeah, right. 
And yeah, that was, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that's enjoyable in small doses, but it didn't need to take up half the episode. Yeah, it's like, oh boy, another 12 minutes of squeaky voice girls being nice to each other. I didn't get enough of that in the previous three episodes. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, But then right. we get to the more interesting stuff where uh, Hotshawn kind of goes through the um, consequences of her actions. Uh, and we see that, like, some of the people from the agency that's keeping track of these girls with superpowers are, like, figuring out that they're being puppeted. Um... And then, like, we get a... Then we get, like, an honestly pretty good scene where Sana creates a Cheshire Cat head and then opens up... We, we're getting, like, real blatant with these Alice in Wonderland metaphors. Yeah, uh, she's um, got the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, she, she's got the giant, like, fall into the earth, the giant hole that the White Rabbit goes through. Um, and then Hachan lands in a abyss where she meets Red Queen Sana, who is standing on top of a giant turtle, and is like, "I'm in the name of the moon, I will punish you." Basically, ooh, um, yeah, I, did, I didn't think of that metaphor, but yeah, that'll work. Uh, that's not okay. The thing is, that was not Hattori that got caught in that. No, she got the roommate. Oh, yeah, that was uh, the... that was uh, that was Hattori's friend Ayumu. Oh, right, the one who can't do anything. Right, because right, she was the so she she because Sana's an idiot. No, <laughs> yeah. Sana, gra- Sana grabbed the innocent bystander. Well, basically. Sort of. I think, yeah, this is the kind of thing where, uh, yeah, if they actually had, if they actually talk to each other, this problem could get resolved. But Sana is very, <laughs> Sana is very immature. And Sana polite. doesn't listen to people too well. <laughs> yeah. Well, she listens to Zokuru sometimes. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so this episode was a mixed bag for me. It had its, yeah. it had its moments, and it had its other moments. I mean, at, at least we're doing, like, something that seems to have a story arc. Like, we're actually continuing the thing from last time. But, yeah, like, that first half was, like, kind of, it was pretty... A little much. It was I'm bad. gonna I'm gonna give the episode overall a three. I can agree with that. Yeah, I'll give it a three. Yeah, I can be generous and give it a three. I was thinking of a lower number, but three would work. I was not, especially when the uh, older sister decided that she wanted to jump in the tub with everybody. It's like, okay, okay. It's become a harem, harem flick. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of sick of the tub scenes too. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like why why you got to do that show? 
Um, yeah, really. I mean, you guys had a really interesting premise going there, and then you turned it into a... Well, we haven't had the beach. Never mind. The minute I say that, the next episode will be the beach scene, because, you know, they all have to have beach scenes now. Yep, exactly. Uh, I'm not too down on the uh, on the bath scenes, because the way they're framed, they're... Yeah, they're really not, they're not pervy at all. I mean, no, they aren't, but also it just seems completely unnecessary. Because, like, the stuff they're talking about doesn't necessitate them being in a bathtub. Nor am I particularly interested in what their interactions are in a bathtub. Well, <laughs> and, and you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I mean, the fan service beach scene would be dressing them all up in skimpy bathing suits and those character designs do not lend themselves to skimpy bathing suits. It, it just seems like one of those anime things that is always kind of dumb. Yeah. In this case, it was harmless. At the moment. Yeah. Alright, so... uh Let's move on to Little Witch Academy, episode 22, which was real good. This was a bombshell of an episode. Yeah, so... The great thing about this is that we do have the chariot reveal. uh, And it happens in... Possibly the... It happens in the worst way possible. (laughs) And it wasn't just it wasn't just the chariot reveal. There was another reveal on top of that, which was even more devastating. Yeah, which was that. Uh, Yeah, which was that took Akko's magic. Yeah, yeah. Not just Akko's magic, but like a bunch of other people's magic. Because she wasn't the the only one at that show. right, Right at the moment, the only person who's worried about anything is Akko. Oh yeah, sure, certainly. Like the only one relevant to the show right now is Akko, but like the point is is that um Akko now knows that the like what LaCroix is doing is almost like a is almost a less severe thing than what Chariot did in the past. Cuz like those people who are having their emotions and manipulated, they aren't just like losing their emotions. It's not like she's taking their anger permanently. Uh, the people who had their magic siphoned, that's gone forever. Well, yeah, for Maybe. most of them, for most of them, it probably wasn't a huge loss. But Because yeah. most of them didn't even realize what they were missing. Uh, although, that's yeah. pretty bad in its own way. And the thing is, is that Croy realized, she realized... Well, too late, but she realized that it was wrong and is trying to make up for it. Yeah. Or not Cro- I mean, uh, Chariot, not Croy. Croy, Croy still Cro- thinks Croy's she's... B- Croy's a bad Croy's, person all the way around. She's, well, no, she thinks she's doing the right thing. I mean, she, I mean, because she believes that, you know, that using this emotional energy will, will lead to the revival of magic. The only problem is that she's going to start World War Three in a process. Yeah, the yeah the geopolitics of the geopolitics of this world are kind of unclear. 
They're, yes, they're very vague. I mean, because... Yeah. Because, like, like, we know it's bad, but we aren't really sure what the extent of the badness is. We know one thing. Right. It's all started with a soccer game, which, uh, yeah, I've seen that happen before. Right. But the thing is, is that, like, like Andrew's country, it sort of seems to be vaguely based on England. But, like... You know, at least in the modern era, England's not likely to go to war with anybody over a soccer game. Um, I don't know about that statement. Them folks really do like their football. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 very much like sort of a background justification thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but, yes. Yeah, so, but, well, but I, I like I like Andrew's character development, like the way yeah, what's, what's, yeah. Been, what's been shown over the course of the series. I you think know? Andrew's a little more smitten with Hako than he wants to admit to. Yeah, too. he kind of goes he kind of goes from like con- like kind of condescending toward toward witches to like ambivalent, sort of like. Yeah, well, I think magic's stupid, but also it's not like it really affects my life much at all. Uh, to, like, actually, these witches are pretty okay. <laughs> like I said, I think he's a schmidt schmitten with Hako. Oh, yeah, clearly. Um, and also, like, a neat thing is Diana noticing uh, Chariot going for her broom and then stopping and yep. leaving without it. I was like, did she lose her magic now? <laughs> well, or at least yeah. her ability to fly. Yeah, Diana. Yeah, Diana theorized that. Uh, yeah, she theorized that the uh, that she was uh, the pollen got her. Yeah, the pollen from that plant in the previous episode. So. But yeah, there's there's some real good stuff that goes down in this episode. And aside from like all the character shakeups, there's that pretty neat fight scene that uh, Akko has with the sort of cubes, uh, cube insect thing. You know, and the thing that gets me about this is that okay, the cube spider. Yeah, the thing that gets me about this. Okay, Akko is basically okay. She's like. She's making, she's basically getting by and struggling after having her magic stolen. Think of, like, what a beast she would have been if she had not had her magic stolen. Yeah. Like, yeah. She, would, she would have been, like, the most amazing witch ever. And she still may be. <laughs> yeah. Could happen. Could happen. Um, I'm trying to figure out, I think, uh, Susie and uh, Latte also are going to play a major role in what's about to happen too. Yeah, they've they've been most they've been out of focus the past few episodes, but hasn't well, been a huge problem because like the people that it has been that these past few episodes have been focusing on have been really great. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I have a feeling that like Susie and Latte are definitely going to come back in the finale to help out Akko. Um, well, and yeah. also Diana. I, I feel like the last, the last word is going to be something about friendship. <laughs> well, the, 
you know, right now, if you think about it, Akko just ran off screaming that everything's a lie, and Susie and Latte are downstairs because that's how she got there. Yep. I'm... Anyway, this was a great episode. I am... I am looking forward to the next one. I give this a five. Oh, many fives. Many, many fives. Shall we move on? Yep. Uh, I'm definitely going to give it a five as well. Let's move on to Hero Academy, episode 23. Wow, what a fight. Which was the Deku versus Todoroki fight, which was a heck of a thing. Uh, Um... Yeah, yeah, there's a, a lot of like grandstanding at the beginning um, and dramatic speeches, but that's okay because they were good dramatic speeches. Uh, and I really liked Deku's whole thing of like slowly using one finger one by one yeah. and like running out of fingers and then just having to hurt his fingers more. <laughs> and then yeah. ending, ending up barely blown out of bounds barely yeah just and like and what's really interesting is that it, it it very much seems like by the end and uh i think all might sort of figures this out as well is that deku's objective like while he he certainly wanted to win his primary goal was to unlock force todoroki to to accept himself, like all of himself, and like accept that just because he has his father's powers, that doesn't mean he has to use them like his father did. He doesn't have to be his father despite coming from his father. Um, and so that was his primary objective. His his secondary goal was to win. Well, and then that- uh, it puts him and our heroine out of the competition where they can move on to wherever they're headed to, too. Well, well, yeah, because the thing about this is that at the end, like, after this tournament is over, you know, you know, Deku and Todoroki are going to be teammates. You know, they're going to be allies. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I can't imagine that, like, they don't come out of this as, like, buddies. <laughs> Especially after, I mean, and the, I have to watch it again with that conversation that uh, Todoroki and his father had walking down the uh, uh, aisle after it was over. It was like, yeah, that would have been interesting, been on a flight on the wall for that whole conversation, too. Yeah. Uh, also, it's worth mentioning that, like, uh, because this was the fight that this entire season was kind of building up towards, uh, it also, there is one particular scene that gets a lot of animation budget spent on it. And it's extremely good to the point where I kind of want to break down what I love about it. All so... Right. It's the part where Todoroki accepts his fl- accepts his flame half and uh, goes completely all out against Deku, uh, and he. So it starts out with him making a 
massive freeze, like a massive frozen area. Uh, let me see if I can get yeah, in the right I'm gonna order. Wanna, I'm gonna want to step through this because I really like it, and I sort of want to get what I like about it. So he creates a massive ice area, and the sort of wind from his flames is whipping Deku's clothing and hair, and Deku has this like really cool sort of determined and almost like almost like insane expression on himself. Like, yeah, we're gonna do this. This is gonna suck, but let's go for it. Um, which is about where the uh, referees step in. So then we have uh, this massive rush of ice. Um, and Deku, like, using his leg, his one good leg to propel himself forward like a rocket above the ice, which just covered the arena. So the ice then comes back as a tidal wave to try and catch him, which is where the really cool thing happens. And I'm going to kind of take this step by step. Uh, I'm going to frame step through this because I really like how this effect works. Because what happens is... Todoroki next, uh, after he's covered the area in ice, he activates his flame at full power, and there's a really cool impact frame where uh, when he activates the fire, where it goes into black and white, um, and like an almost like sketch style black and white with the black being almost like a charcoal uh which makes it look like there's just this intense flash from the fire being suddenly activated and uh there's this really awesome sort of swirling flame effect and then sort of uh I'm trying to figure out how to describe this but if you've ever seen like a the flame coming out of like a jet with mm, which larry burner. probably has after yeah burner. so yeah so the af like almost the afterburner of a flame where you've got this trail like this trail uh coming out of the engine where the tip is just blue and the fire looks like it's just shooting out extremely fast like that's sort of outlining todoroki and they're actually smearing like partially smearing his body to create like this speed line effect on his entire body uh almost like Todoroki himself is the jet engine and like the fire is coming out of him like a jet and you've got like these you've also got like these cool sort of meteorite looking flames swirling around him uh and then you've got then it cuts out to like this really amazing view of uh the flame expanding and flash melting the ice it's really i'm finding it really tough as a person who's not an artist is sort of describing this in detail but it's just an absolutely beautiful scene and i think one of my favorite parts about it is near the end when todoroki like lifts his hand up to deliver the finishing fire blast and there's this really a uh, like beautiful sort of uh, like orange glow and highlight on his hand to indicate that his hand is almost like molten hot. Uh, mm -hmm. 
there's just so much detail put into these like about i want to say 20 seconds or so uh it's one of the most beautiful scenes i've seen in a shonen show in my entire life <laughs> it's uh pretty so, praiseworthy like, there boss yeah I'll, I'll probably put a link uh in the show notes to uh the gif of it um because it really is outstanding um yeah, and actually, actually, and that actually led me to check out um, some of the other scenes that uh, I really want to get this right. Uh, the name of the artist that uh, directed that scene, um, because it's really important to me that I get that correct. Now I'm looking through Saku Sakugaboru, and man, it's been. I really should have bookmarked this thing when I had the chance. Uh, this is a bad idea to try and go through it on the podcast. There, there, I think I found it. Okay, yeah, there it is. Okay, so. All right, so the uh, person largely responsible for this was uh, Yutaka Nakamura. Uh, and if you look up his stuff on Sakugaburo, you'll also find stuff from... Uh, Concrete Revolutio, actually, which is a show that Ben watched all of, but I did not, like, I haven't, but I only watched the first season of, and I haven't, like, picked up the second season. But there is some really rad stuff that happened in, uh, in Concrete Revolutio, apparently, that I missed, and uh, some, also some really cool scenes in Mob Psycho that he was, uh, that uh, Yutaka was responsible for. Uh, which just made me that more, uh, which sort of put the fire in me to be like, man, I should actually watch the rest of those shows. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly recommend Concrete Revolution. That was a great show. And, and I can Mob recommend Psycho. Mob Psycho. Yes, I can recommend Mob I Psycho. Mean, Mob, Mob Psycho was my favorite show of last year. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah, but yeah. Oh. So that that scene in My Hero Academy is one of those that's so like, that's so like really beautiful and interesting that you that it made me want to frame step through it just to see the techniques that were being used like frame by frame, just because like the way it was being done was so fascinating. Yep. So yeah, I definitely give this episode a five. Almost definitely. All right. Uh, So let's talk about Eccentric Family Episode 9, which was not nearly as flashy, uh, but was still pretty cool. I don't know. Benton Benton showing up in a black kimono wanting to marry somebody. That's pretty pretty, uh, right up there. Yeah, so Benton shows up... uh, well, okay, so that's kind of at the very end. But what happens first is that uh, Yajiro, now that he can, you know, transform into stuff other than a frog and can actually maintain his human form, is uh, going on a journey. He's going to go on a trip to find himself. Going on the road like Jack Kerouac. <laughs> uh, Works for me. So that was a that was a kind of nice scene. Um, and... Uh, 
we have a... So I, I know there was one scene I really liked with... Um, yeah, okay. Was that when so, you... <sighs> Go ahead. I sorry. I'm, I I just thought there was a scene before what I what I was going to talk about next that I really liked with Yasuburo, but um, I'm I'm not sure if it's there. Or maybe it happens later. But any in, regardless, so sort of the next important thing that happens is that later they're talking about the trick magister appointment, uh, and saying that like, oh, we should get Nadaime involved so that way if they if 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 he's there then Benten won't interfere and, like, do her whole hot pot thing, which is kind of bad for the yeah. Tanuki. Uh-huh, yeah. These, these guys have... Yeah, it's, well, yeah, I mean, that in that, what they're... Yeah, basically, Benten cannot be trusted to oversee an election properly. Oh, no, not at all. You think she tipped the scales, huh? And, you know, and even, like, Yasuburo, even Yasuburo, who, who's, like, in love with her, he knows that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why he's going to take the blame for everything that's going to happen one way or the other. Yeah, it's all my fault, even though it's not all my fault. It's all my fault. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, uh, yeah, so they get the... Right, so they, you know, they get Nidaime on board, and, you know, and, yeah, and the, the exchange between uh, Nidaime and Yasuburo, that was interesting. Yeah, because, like, Yasuburo very deftly sort of calls in, basically gets a favor out of Nidaime by, like, telling him that, like, he uh, was responsible for, like, um... Uh, bringing down uh, Son and Tenmaya. Uh, Tenmaya specifically is who Nadaime was uh, concerned with because he's the one who stole Nadaime's gun. Uh, so yeah, so Yasuburo did Nadaime solid, and Yasuburo immediately like Yasuburo like essentially uh, gets him to. Um, say he's in debt to Yasuburo, and then Yasuburo very immediately calls in that favor to uh, get Nadaime to um, oversee the election of the Trick Magister. His faithful maneuvering. Right, and (laughs) yeah, and yeah, so with that, you know, they got that done, but now... Yeah, but then Benton comes in because mainly, you know, not because, yeah, not because she cares about the Tanuki or or anything, but basically, uh, as part, it's all, it's all it, her her competition with Nidaime, basically. So yeah, so what happened to them two in England would be interesting to find out. Because he does mention, he says, yeah, well, the reason I have problems with her is because I ran into her in England. Yeah, so what happened? None of your business. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so Benten Sama is still, Benten still interrupts 
um, and gets on Yasubro's case because she knows he's the one who's who interfered. Uh, I was trying to block her. Did all this fancy maneuvering? Yes, yes. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting was that when yeah when she uh, when she shows up when she shows up and like you know uses her Tengu powers like all the other Tanuki all the other Tanuki in the era were in the revert. area revert revert except for Yasuburo. except for Yasuburo who feels who always seems to feel more comfortable being a human. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, which reminds me. Oh, right. Yeah. So the thing I liked was, uh, so there was, yeah, it was actually during the beginning of the episode where, um oh the frog guy why well, can't that, I remember his name right now? That was Yajiro. Yajiro. Where Yajibo, Rod, Yajiro uh Yajiro leaves and um sort of we see them lined up and how they're kind of like all sort of finding their destiny, kind of. Uh Yajiro, um going to be a bigger man than I am now he says uh and we have gakuan and um the bigger uh, brother the older uh, brother. yaichiro yaichiro there um going to get married gakuan who has already sort of like become a proper adult and a competent figure in her own right uh and the older brother who is going to become the trick magister uh, and then you have Yasuburo, who is kind of the odd one out because his destiny is, is still unclear and he doesn't really, he doesn't have a plan. Uh, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't, he sort of just goes along with whatever happens to be going on in the moment. Um, and that's, again, one of the interesting things about him is that he doesn't really have a what we what we what he blatantly says in this episode like right at the end uh, is that his motivation in any given scenario is to make things interesting um but that is a reactive motivation uh, it's not a proactive one and it's not something that will ever really that will ever really con- uh, be conducive to personal growth, uh, which kind of ties into what I was talking about during the previous discussion of eccentric family, is that Yasuburo, as fun as he is, is a- also a uh, very aimless and conflicted character because he has no personal well, if, if he does have personal desires, he very much suppresses them in favor of sort of just going with the flow and reacting to circumstances rather than creating those circumstances. Uh, whereas, like, all the other characters um, make those choices and create those situations and have goals they want to obtain. 
let's see. Well, yeah, you, you, uh, yeah, the youngest one, you know, he shows up at the station with his, uh, let's see, with his, uh, like, uh, workers, work, like, work goggles still on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting is that I can think of one other character who's like Yasuburo. <laughs> and that's Venton. Yeah. Uh, because Venten also doesn't seem to have any particular goals for herself. She doesn't really have a motivation other than to be a fly in the ointment, much like Yasuburo. She's just working for, like, the other side, kind of like in in opposition to Yasuburo. Uh, and after the after the cold open after the um opening song like one of the first things we see is Yasubro kind of just like sitting aimlessly in a field saying i just want to just i'm always causing trouble uh a whole lot of trouble um i'm always going to disturb the peace yeah in sort of this sing-song voice and like yeah. that that is his character like that is that is his motivation. Um, and Benten is very similar. And that is why they seem to be stuck in this endless rut. Because they do not have goals for themselves. And this season seems to very be, be very much about breaking that apart and showing why that is such like a... Why that is such an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked. I talked for a lot about eccentric family again. Go ahead. No, you, no, you, <laughs> you, you pretty much said. Yeah, you pretty much said it all there. Uh, I I agree with you. And this yeah. is a and anyway, this episode, this show just keeps bringing it, and I'm giving it a five. I love this show so much. Uh, if it wasn't completely obvious, yeah, I'll give it a five, definitely. Oh, I'll give it a five. Um, Hello, I'm there, right? Yes. <laughs> All right, Here, here is one where I won't be talking nearly as much, even though I like it, because there's not a whole lot for me to go full <clears throat> English major on. Uh, Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul, episode nine, where we get a whole lot of Favreau. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, the, the whole the whole backstory of like how uh, of Favreau and Nina. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was great. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> I like how Favreau, as usual, kind of just got like browbeat into it, much like Amira did, like where he was so scared of what Amira might do to him. <laughs> That he just like kept saying, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll take you to Helheim. Please don't murder me." Um, in much the same way, Nina just kept pestering uh, Favreau until he's like, "Fine, God, I'll be your mentor." Good lord. <laughs> so, Jonah uh, Ark is like, uh, "So tell me more about this kid." <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, I think the, I think, yeah, the, the real heart of this episode for me was the exchanges between, uh, the exchanges between Nina and John, and, uh, John Dark. Oh, oh yeah, those were pretty good. Like, yeah, we're like, 
you know, where, like, where Nina is talking about Muguro, and it's like, yeah, so which leads me to, leads me to suspect that, I don't know, there, there's, there's something up with Muguro, and I think that, uh, they, that, uh, people have not, I think there's a switcheroo involved somewhere with Muguro, and that, like, the child that they're talking about and Muguro are two different may not be the may not be the same people. Yeah, because uh, the one angel kind of looks, it's like, uh, I protected you, I'll keep protecting you. Yeah, well, wait a minute. And then, just wait a minute, she's a boy? No, 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 she's a girl. Uh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Sure. So, yeah, we're I did really to, like... We're, we're getting ready to bust out of prison. I did really like the uh, the scene where we f- where we find out that the only time that uh, Nina ever transformed into a dragon in front of Favreau was when his hair got wet and he no longer had an afro. Because <laughs> it makes him very self conscious about his afro. <laughs> like, is this really not that cool? <laughs> uh, poor Favreau. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, also, it it is funny to me that Nina's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a mercenary, a bounty hunter," and then she at no point ever does any bounty hunting. Uh, it's a... She gets completely distracted by every job other than being a bounty hunter. <laughs> I uh, I also found amusing was uh, the like the letter that Nina was like writing like writing back to her mother and it's juxtaposed with like like uh like her in prison yeah her living yeah she's trying to she's trying to play it up as like oh yeah this isn't so bad putting the most optimistic spin on it well yeah well that's yeah is that she's it well think about it is that she know like she knows how strong she is yeah you know so she's not gonna let these people He's not going to let these people beat her down. Yeah. Also, uh, in addition to Favreau, uh, he's not the only character that comes back who we haven't seen in quite a while. Uh, we also get a scene with Cerberus, the like uh, the succubus character who communicate the twin-tailed succubus who has puppets on her hands and communicates through them. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh right. I had co- I had completely forgot of, forgot that she existed until she showed up uh, in this scene where the knights are apparently in a demon strip club, um, and she shows up to be like, uh, "Oh no, drunk guy! You can uh, whose name is Al? You can totally become the new captain now that Kaiser is out of the picture. You have it in you. And of course, this is almost certainly going to end extremely poorly. Yeah. Because, yeah, Al Al does not have what it takes. (laughs) Yeah, no. Al Al cannot... Al is incompetent. He He can't even keep his cool around a bunch of sexy demons. He does not have... Yeah, he's he's doomed. Anyway, this this was a really enjoyable episode. I give it a five. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. I liked it a whole lot. Um, I will give it a five as well. Character uh, development. Character development. That's what we need. It's more character development. It is really interesting to me that Raid, that Virgin Soul seems to have had the complete opposite trajectory that the first Rage of Bahamut did, where the first Rage of Bahamut was e- extremely solid at the beginning and sort of petered out uh, at the end, like in the back half, whereas Virgin Soul starts out as like, yeah, kind of good um, at the beginning and slowly gets better. <laughs> It's such a it's such a weird thing. Yeah, well, uh, maybe somebody finally found a formula that might be working. Yeah, though honestly, like if, if but if I had to choose between the two, like I at least prefer the trajectory that Virgin Soul has because then you end on a high note as opposed well, to well, man, that show started good and well, oh well, it remains to be seen whether they can keep it up for twenty four episodes. Oh, right, I forgot it was 24 episodes. I thought it was going to be ending in, like, three. No, uh, no. we're not okay. that lucky. We're not that lucky, All right. maybe. So, yeah, I guess uh, Yeah, I guess it remains to be seen. So, I'm crossing my fingers, hopefully. But, yeah. So, so far, it's on an upward arc. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I will definitely give this one a five. Uh, and let's see if there are any listener questions for uh, us. I didn't see any two hours ago when I looked, but that was two hours ago. Um, there aren't any on Project Harhi, and actually comments are finally working on Audio Entropy. Uh-huh. Uh, and there are none there as well. Okay, so not th- no listener questions to, or comments to answer this time. So that'll be it for this episode. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, as always, you can send us questions or comments uh, either at www.audioentropy.com, at www.projectharhi.net, or through our email at uh, bakacast at projectharhi.net. That's a whole lot of stuff to say. Um, or, you know, you can send me questions via Twitter at StiltTheGM. Uh, you um, can... Which- Yes, I'm on Twitter at DeathSlinky. I'm not on maybe Twitter someday because I'll, maybe, I ain't no bird. Maybe someday, like I created a BakaCast Twitter account. I still haven't actually started using it. I should probably do that at some point, I suppose. <clears throat> maybe. Start retweeting when episodes go out or something. Um, but yeah, uh, Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kittabosh. Uh, anime still better than network television. Watch anime. Bye bye. <laughs>